This week on the Pro Wrestling Podcast, podcast. Chaos backstage in AEW. Ric Flair shoots on his relationship with Triple H. Bully Ray shoots hard on GCW. And Freddie Prince Jr. has a conspiracy theory about Austin Theory. I'm your host, Seth Grimes, and this is the Pro Wrestling Podcast Podcast. What the fuck is up, everybody? Welcome to episode 50 of the Pro Wrestling Podcast podcast. Episode 50, that's so huge for me. That's a big uh, it's a big milestone and commitment. You know, I've done a couple other podcasts in the past that have reached nowhere near episode 50. In fact, I think the highest I've gotten is somewhere in the teens. So... Good old Barry Horowitz pat on the back, self-pat on the back for episode 50. But enough about that. Let's just get into episode 50 because we got a whole lot to talk about this week, including all of the insane craziness coming out of the backstage rumors and speculations about AEW. Of course, we've been hearing all kinds of things. Everything just seems to be leaking out like crazy these last couple weeks about AEW. And it really couldn't have come at a worse time for AEW because they have Triple H taking over WWE now. So all eyes are on Triple H. And is he going to do a good job over there? And what kind of changes is he making? And that sort of thing. And people are paying close attention. And now is not the time that you want to start having rumors getting out there that your whole company's falling apart backstage and everybody wants to get out or people aren't happy there anymore. It's chaos. It's not just one thing anymore, right? I think, uh, you know, rumors started to fly around uh, around the time that Punk did his infamous little shoot ski on Hangman Page a couple weeks ago. And everybody was wondering where the fuck that came from. And then all these leaks started leaking out, right? CM Punk's unhappy backstage. He's voiced his discontent. He's even threatened to not show up or just quit. Some people have said Hangman Page didn't know about it. He's not happy about it. Other people aren't happy. Colt Cabana, you know, he's almost got fired and got demoted to Ring of Honor because of CM Punk. All of this drama around CM Punk, and then, of course, he loses in spectacularly short fashion to John Moxley. Uh, it's all up in the air, and then even before that, it was the MJF situation, right? We were all hearing about MJF being unhappy backstage, and then these people that were getting cut, like a Joey Janela or uh, some other fuck, who's, uh, Marco Stunt was another one. People saying that they weren't properly communicated to by Tony Khan. That uh, uh, John Gresham, Jonathan Gresham was another one. Where uh, everybody's saying, you know, the communication is shit. So we're starting to see these little cracks 
no bigger than MJF. And then once the CM Punk thing happened, the floodgates just opened and we just got all kinds of craziness. And it's coming in hot. Now it's not just Punk. It's, it's you know, we're hearing Eddie Kingston and Sammy Guevara got into it backstage. Where Sammy called Eddie fat in a promo. And Eddie didn't like that too much and took exception to that and tried to pie face Sammy backstage. Reports are conflicting on whether he was actually able to complete said pie face or not. Um, but then, you know, Eddie was quietly suspended from AEW. He's now back. Uh, their match that was announced for All Out appears to be off now, perhaps. All up in the air, all chaos, and then and then Eddie Kingston, you know, went on record and said he shouldn't have did it, and that he just wants it all to go away. But then Sammy Guevara comes out with his own fucking statement, and he's he's uh, you know giving his side of the story after it should have all just been said and done and wiped under the rug. Then you got fucking Disco Inferno throwing his two cents in on Twitter. Him and Eddie got into it a little bit. You know, Disco jumped in and had to say that, you know, that maybe Eddie needs to look at himself in the mirror and go on a diet or something. <laughs> and then Eddie kind of retweeted and bitch slapped Disco down pretty quick talking about how he heard stories that Big Show farted in his face and stuff like that. Eddie didn't hold back there. Eddie's not somebody you want to go take jabs with on Twitter, okay? Uh, there's few people that you want to get into a Twitter joust with. Eddie Kingston, not one of them. And uh, probably not a physical joust either. But then the drama continues because we're also hearing now that more heat is on Thunder Rosa backstage. We heard a little bit of the sandbagging. You know, I did cover that uh, about a month ago or so with uh, reports that Thunder Rosa was sandbagging people in, in her matches, you know, and just kind of being extra stiff with people and just really being, uh, not being a team player in the ring and starting to get a lot of heat backstage from the women's division in regards to that. Now we're seeing that she broke fucking Jamie Hayter's nose and Jamie Hayter's pissed off at her. And rumors were that Thunder Rosa was legit hiding in a bathroom backstage uh, from Jamie Hayter. Now, some would say, oh, I thought Thunder Rosa was a tough chick. She was in MMA and she, you know, she's tough and she's a badass. That may be for most women, but Jamie Hayter has quite the reputation for being just about the biggest beast of a woman that you can possibly get into a tussle with. Not in, not in size, not like the native beast Nyla Rose or anything like that, but just that Jamie Hayter is a uh, tough, badass, strong chick who is just not somebody that you're going to want to fuck with. You know, she has quite the reputation of being a tough chick, and uh, apparently Thunder Rosa didn't want any piece of Jamie Hayter Jamie Hayter, what was she going to do? Beat Thunder's ass backstage in front of Tony Khan? It's all chaos. It's all nuts going backstage. Apparently, Tony Khan had a big meeting. He had a full talent meeting where he kind of laid out the uh, ways to communicate, you know, the chain of command and all of that good stuff. Um, he did set up this whole new team around him with Tony Schiavone and Sanjay Dutt and Pat Buck and uh, a couple others, you know, Madison Rain for the women and that sort of thing. Not just being coaches, um, but Christopher Daniels still involved in talent relations. 
Um, these this team is set up to kind of help with the communication factor, help pass things along, help relate to the talent, as it were, for talent relations. And, uh, and then apparently the Young Bucks threw in their two cents in this talent meeting and said that their office is always open if somebody wants to go talk to them. And apparently Kenny Omega gave him a little tough love and told him to straighten the fuck up. Get your shit together. Uh, it's just, it's madness. What's going on over there? What the, and how did it fall apart so quickly? Because all we heard for years was that this was all friends wrestling, right? Everybody loves everybody. It's the happiest wrestling place on earth. Everybody walks in and they're just so happy to be here. And I love it so much. And I'm just smiling. And it's, it's all just falling apart. Now everybody's unhappy with their spot. Everybody wants to go back to Papa Papa H over at the WWE. Tony Khan is not communicating with everybody. Everybody's fighting backstage. Everybody hates everybody now. So what exactly is going on? And more importantly, how do you fix it? Before we do, I'm going to go in and uh, have a sip of this here Bang. This here podcast sponsored by Bang. It's not sponsored. I wish it was, though. Matter of fact, my very first episode ever that was going to be my like gimmick that I was going to pitch for a a bang sponsorship every episode, and then I think I dropped it by the second episode because it's just not going to happen, and let's face it. But I do love me some bang. It's good shit. But anyway, how do you fix the problems that are going on in AEW and, and what's going on with it? How did it all happen? Is it that the inmates are running the asylum? Is Tony giving people too much freedom? That certainly could be the case, you know, that was, uh, at one point, that was the draw for AEW. Everybody wanted to go to AEW so that they could have the creative, for, the creative freedom that they weren't getting in WWE. You know, everything was ultra scripted in WWE. With Vince McMahon especially, every last word was pre-thought out for you. You were given a gimmick. Um, in a lot of cases, and if you didn't like it or you didn't fit in, you were fired, basically. Look at Karrion Cross. You know, he came up with, you know, the perfect, everything already perfectly in the can, perfectly uh, groomed to be a WWE superstar, and then he got made into a demolition gladiator and uh, took Scarlet away from him and everything fell apart. So Vince was a very difficult guy to work with. And everybody wanted to leave and go to the place where they had the creative freedom. Well, now it seems to be that maybe there's too much creative freedom. Maybe people are uh, just kind of backstage running the asylum. There's nobody in control. There's nobody to put their foot down and give the final say. Now, uh, I'll push back against that a little bit because by all accounts, Tony Khan has... Not been afraid to put his foot down in the past when he needs to. I mean, even look at Eddie Kingston. He got suspended over the Sammy Guevara thing. Uh, you know, Sammy has gotten in trouble in the past. He's had to go to some court of uh, counseling, sensitivity training or whatever. Um, you know, I don't think that Tony's just a pushover. I do think that people maybe don't respect Tony. I don't think he commands the respect that a... Vince McMahon had or uh, Triple H has. I don't know if it's just because he hasn't been around long enough. Uh, it's because maybe he's not one of the boys. Uh, he's a little bit unproven in the business or maybe just because he's a huge nerdy mark. Who knows? 
Um, but I do think that that's part of it. I think guys are more likely to, I mean, let's face it. Like, think about when you were in school, right? And you had a substitute teacher. Not that Tony's the substitute, but you perceive the substitute as the weaker teacher, right? Unless you had, like, one of the really mean substitutes. You're like, oh, shit, this guy's not going to put up with anything. And she's going to send us to the office and all that stuff. But for the most part... When you got a substitute in, you felt like you could kind of walk all over her a little bit. You know, you started talking with your friends more, started not paying attention as much, started cracking jokes. You know, you were a little bit more of a class clown because you knew you could get away with it because the substitute wasn't going to put their foot down like the real teacher would be. And I think there's a bit of that with Tony Khan. I think these people that have worked with Vince for all these years, and now all of a sudden they're in W or AEW from WWE. I feel like they feel like uh, it's a little bit of a, a little bit of a pushover, or an easy easy pass, a cakewalk. And I don't know that that's the case, but I do get that impression to a certain extent. Um, another one of the problems seems to be just the huge overbloated talent roster that doesn't get the proper TV time. You know, Tony can sit back and he has tried to justify this by saying, oh, well, you know, I don't have all the TV time in the world. So guys got to fight for their TV time. First of all, you don't need to hire 80 million people if you don't have enough TV time to satiate all these people. Now, I am not one of the people that thinks everybody has to be on every episode. I, I actually like the idea of rotating talents around. You know, again, I always go back to UFC as an example because it's what reality is, right? UFC is real. If the WWE or AEW was real, it would be UFC to a certain extent, right? UFC, you don't see Conor McGregor on every show. Even though he's your top draw, he's not on every show. He's not on many shows, actually. You know, I wouldn't advise it to that extent where you only see your top guys a couple times a month. But you get what I'm saying. Every other week is fine. You know, take a week off. That You know, they do something big one week. They don't have to be there the next week. And you can keep them alive by airing a replay of it. Here's what happened last week when fucking Christian and Jungle Boy jerked each other off in front of Luchasaurus. Just show the highlight, you know what I mean? Or era, era pre-recorded uh, promo, you know, get these people backstage, get them a promo, and you don't even need to fly them in the next week, you know what I mean? Record it the week before while they're there, and then just, you know, give them the week off. And it's not a punishment, it's not, oh, you're not using me, it's just we're rotating people. And that's actually good for the longevity of the wrestlers, and it keeps them, uh, you know, not getting played out, you know, if you don't go away, how can I miss you? That kind of thing, you know. Um, another thing is that you just don't hire that many people. What's the point of signing everybody and their mom other than just trying to, you know, it's a little bit of WCW-esque, you know, it's just to sign them just to say that you have them. Oh, I got this other big star. And to bring them in for the big pop. Oh, look at this guy. He's all elite now. And now you're never going to see him again. And we're never going to use him properly. Blah, 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 blah. There was no need for any of that. Look at Ruby Soho. How often do we see Ruby Soho on anything ever? And the women's division's lacking. That's the other thing. I'll get to that in a minute. But the overbloated talent roster, I think Tony could stand to make some cuts or just not renew some contracts. Uh, there are rumors that they're going to be adding another hour of television or another new show. Maybe that's Ring of Honor. I don't know why we need more AEW TV because nobody watches Rampage. 
I could see him trying to ju- Tony trying to justify wanting more TV because then he can fit some more of these guys on TV. But that's not the problem. The problem is you have too many guys, and then you you don't even use them properly when you have the when you do put them on. You know, look at Rampage. It's such a underutilized show. Why do you even have that show? You have this whole third hour of TV, and it started off hot. Fuck, the second episode was the first dance with CM Punk's big return. Uh, all you need to do is book a giant main event there and make things that happen on that show relevant. And it's become the point where it's a completely skippable show. Anything that happens there, it's not part of the major storyline. It doesn't move anything forward. It's not must-see TV in any way, shape, or form. The only thing that makes it good is if Tony books a match on it that you have to see. You know, uh, I think, you know, recently Claudio was on there defending the ROH title or or having some kind of... Uh, spotlight match on there and I don't even remember who he was facing I remember it was a, a match that um, you know I had interest in seeing but it was completely forgettable because it was it was didn't mean anything you know Moxley versus Mance Warner that's another thing well you're bringing why are you bringing guys in that don't even work for you I actually liked that at first I liked that idea of Guys on the indies getting a shot, you know, bringing a, somebody in with a little bit of indie value. You know, Mance Warner is a well-known guy, and and in a in a vacuum, Mance Warner versus John Moxley is a hell of a match to book. So if you have a little wiggle room to say, hey, we're gonna bring in this guy for a special one-off fight or whatever, that's actually kind of cool. I don't mind that, and it's different than WWE because you know WWE's guys are very in their own bubble. They're really locked up tight, and they're in that WWE universe and in that WWE structure. I like that AEW is a company that exists to the outside world to an extent, and that people from the outside wrestling world, it acknowledges that other wrestling companies exist, and it brings other people in from other companies or the outside world. You know, you've heard of Mance Warner before, perhaps, and now... Here's old Mance Warner on AEW TV in a bubble. That's fine. But when you have 35 other guys that would gladly love a match against John Moxley in a main event spot on national TV, like Miro, I've been talking about Miro. Where the fuck is Miro been? Oh, he comes back to fucking save, you know, to save Sting against Malachi Black or whatever. Who gives a shit, right? That's not good use for Miro. Miro's a killer. Miro's a beast. Miro should be in the title picture. What are you fucking doing with Miro? What are you doing with the House of Black? How often do we even see those guys? You know, they had uh, some good booking of Brody King, but then there's no follow-up on it, you know? And I don't think Malachi Black, before the whole House of Black thing even started, really got a fair shake. He got the big pop when he came in, and then he was basically downgraded to a mid-carder almost instantly. You know, you really could have pushed during Hangman's reign. You easily could have did a uh, build to a Hangman versus Malachi Black world title match. And then you could have filtered Malachi Black down uh, to the to the House of Black stuff and the more tag team trio stuff. And then you could have justified, you know, I use, you know, used them in a main event spot, you know, and you're filtering people through. You're rotating people. 
Uh, he just came in and did nothing. Same with Ruby Soho. I guess Ruby Soho had a crack at the women's title or got a couple main event spots, but now she's what? Standing backstage next to Ortiz. And, you know, I guess she's got an injury maybe or whatever. Um, that that could be part of it. But she's not featured at all. She's a lackey for fucking Eddie Kingston. It's it's uh, shameful is what it really is. And there's a whole other slew of guys that you can point to. Will Hobbs, criminally underutilized. This guy, you know, he's got a nice feud going with Ricky Starks right now going on to the pay-per-view. I'm glad that they're going to get pay-per-view time. Um, but they, even when they were together as a team, they, they were off TV many weeks in a row. You know, you got to have guys like this on your TV. A Ricky Starks, why you utilize these people to their max? I feel like, you know, you can pick out any number of people, and I've only picked out a few, and we don't want to be here all day, but I feel like AEW has such a... Adam Cole, what the fuck has he done? I know he's injured, too. Along with, you know, Kyle O'Reilly and stuff. But what the fuck did they do with Adam Cole since he's been back? Oh, he won the fucking Owen Hart gimmick? Meh. Who cares? He should have been used in a world title picture as well. You know, he, I think, had a quick feud with Hangman. And then he was swept under the rug as well. And, you know, you could debate me on all of those. But to it just from where I'm sitting, from my perspective... A lot of the talent roster in AEW just isn't being used to the fullest extent. And, uh, you know, you see, and I'm a huge Danny Garcia fan. I love Daniel Garcia. I lo- and I, I'm actually kind of a fan of 2.0, even though uh, Matt Menard kind of bugs me a little bit. But I, I think that's the point. He's supposed to bug me. Almost to the point of go-away heat, but not quite. You know, he's just, he's a bit much, you know. You know what I'm saying? Um, I love those guys. I love Daniel Garcia and 2.0. But they've had a bajillion main event matches on AEW where a Miro could have been slotted in or a Malachi Black could have been slotted in. And even like a Darby Allen really hasn't been used all that great lately other than, you know, like I said, him and Brody had a decent little feud, but it was in a bubble. You know, you don't really... I feel like, you know, when you look at the big picture, Darby Allen's star power has been significantly diminished. I don't think Tony's maximizing the talent that he has. The women's roster, criminally underutilized, underbooked. You know, they're getting barely any time on the shows. Um, they're not getting highlighted. They're not getting major pushes. You got a Jade Cargill. You got a Britt Baker. Uh, I think Thunder Rosa's pretty mo- pretty well been a flop as champion, which sucks too because I loved Thunder Rosa. You know, when she first came in, that was my bitch. You know, and when she got signed from the NWA, I was excited. I, I genuinely enjoy her matches. I feel like, you know, though the women say that she's a bit stiff, I find her to be uh, in the ring more credible than a lot of the women too. So maybe they're just not used to getting hit. I like that she's a little bit physical. I like she puts on good matches, um, but she, her character is not getting over. And maybe it is the sandbagging stuff. Who knows? Uh, but it's time to make a change there. But you got a Britt Baker, and you got a Jade Cargill, and I really honestly think you can build a whole huge segment of your show around these characters and what they're doing. 
and the you know use a ruby soho better you know get these women in the mix and athena get her in the mix better you know utilize these talents to strengthen your women's roster and make them huge stars because they are huge stars but they're just being underutilized right now you, know, you look at anybody that's had any kind of momentum in AEW it seems like they all just it all just kind of gets squandered even the MJF thing you know i i thoroughly believe this all to be a work i feel like there was a heated debate between MJF and Tony Khan and I feel like it was worked out, and because it leaked out to the internet, it was now being used as a storyline. And I also applauded AEW at first for playing off the realism. You know, you start to hear people, oh, you know, MJF, that was the biggest shit. Everybody's talking about it. Why don't they follow up on it next week? Well, because when you follow up on it next week, now it's not real. You know, when CM Punk walked out of the WWE, he was back on WWE TV like the week or two weeks later. Like, you know, and they missed a huge opportunity when that happened to have him go defend the WWE title in Ring of Honor, to let him go over to New Japan, to let him work the indies and just show up and get the video footage, call these indie companies, work with them, get the camera footage of them wrestling in a Ring of Honor ring, you know, like... You're missing the boat on some of this stuff, man. But I feel like so I plotted it at first with MJF, but now it's it's been too long. And I think they're either waiting for Punk to come back or sweeps week, you know, to for the ratings, you know, where ratings really matter in TV, you know, we're gonna pop a rating by bringing MJF back in. Um, but I feel like that's been squandered a little bit too. Now certainly when he comes back, it's gonna pop the, the company again. And, uh, you know, they'll do some good ratings and stuff. But it hasn't really fully been capitalized on to this point. Even CM Punk and Brian Danielson, these are some of the biggest stars in wrestling history. And they were brought in and it's just kind of like, meh, meh. You know, it was a huge deal when they are brought in, but now they, all, they both just kind of feel like just another guy, you know. It's just all a big mess with AEW. So how can they fix it? Well, you gotta, uh, Tony's gotta be a boss. Tony's gotta put his foot down backstage and he's gonna start throwing his nuts on the table and maybe even making an example out of some people. You know, even if it's CM Punk at the highest level, uh, assuming that that's not a work, what's going on there. Uh, but Tony needs to show that he is the boss. Not necessarily just be a dick or strike fear in the hearts of everybody, but let people know. In no uncertain terms, you're not going to fuck around with me and what I say goes. And leave it at that. And I can be nice as hell and easy to work with as long as you're working within those boundaries. But fuck with me and find out. You know what I mean? Tony needs to put a little bit of that out there. Uh, Rampage needs to be fixed. Rampage is a shit show. It's a god-awful show that is completely missable. When I say shit show, I mean it has good matches on it, but the ratings have been sliding. They don't put anything that's must-see on there. They don't develop any really meaningful storylines on there. There's no reason to tune in to Rampage, ever. I watched Rampage for the first month or so, and then I stopped watching, and I haven't watched it since. It's been on for a year now. I don't watch it. What's the point? Why would I go out of my way to watch it? You know? Dynamite! I've been missing Dynamites lately. 
And I never used to miss a dynamite. It's just, I don't know. It's starting to slip. It's not must-see anymore. So dynamite's a good way to strengthen that up. Put some of your main event talent on dynamite or on rampage. Make it must-see and utilize that time to use talent that you're not using on dynamite or that you didn't use on dynamite this week. You know, rotate people around, get some big main events in there, get title matches on there, get uh, things that you must see happen only on Rampage. Before you bring in a whole nother show, we don't need another show. You think you need another show because you have a giant bloated roster that's complaining that they're not getting enough TV time. What you need to do is use your TV time properly. And they're just not doing that over in AEW. Uh, the other thing is that they need to probably bring in some writers. Tony Khan despite what Dave Meltzer thinks and what Tony Khan must think about himself when he looks in the mirror, he is not Booker of the Year. You know, um, I think AEW has booked some amazing matches. I think they are really good at putting matches that you want to see. And I'll even say this, I think they're better at you know, when they do things like a Daniel Garcia in the main event against uh, a Brian Danielson, I think they're good at using their younger talent and making a younger talent against a top star feel like a big deal and where it's going to elevate this younger star a little bit. You know, Jungle Boy got a lot of push from that in, in early on where he was in the ring with a lot of top people and he would never, ever win, but he was getting just a little bit better, a little bit better, a little bit better, and a little closer. And, and I like all that. That's good character building. So there's good stuff going on there. But I feel like he needs a couple writers on hand because he can't do it all himself. And it doesn't mean that the whole show needs to be scripted and turn it into WWE. It just means I think maybe he needs to delegate some of his creative, come up with some ideas for other people. Because, you know, sometimes these guys can't come up with ideas for themselves properly or the ideas that they do come up with suck. You know, it's great. For people that want to be creative and come up with their own ideas and that Tony lets them for the most part, unless he just hates it. But what about the guy that's not that creative and he's just more of a tell me what to do, boss, and I'm going to go do it to the best of my ability. You know, it wouldn't hurt to have a couple guys on hand to just be like, hey, man, I'm here for you if you want some ideas. You know, you put one guy to, to write for the main event. One guy to write for like the undercard, a guy to write for the women, a guy to write for the tag teams. That's it. Get a couple of those guys to be pitching ideas to Tony, and he can take them, he can leave them, and then they can also be there at TVs to help guys with their promos. Not write shit, not handing out scripts, not here's what you're going to be doing today, but hey, how can I help you get what you want to get across to the TV people better? You know what I mean? Um... I think the storytelling just lacks there a little bit. They book good matches. They do not book good stories. There are some good stories. There are other horrible stories. And there's just no story at all. Um, I think everybody... What makes good TV is every character has a path. You almost need to, and that's something that, you know, is easier to do with seasons than a week-to-week -week thing where you set your character story arc from start to finish. And if you need to write your TV uh, from all out to all out or double, no double or nothing to double or nothing or however, even just from all out to double or nothing or, you know, pick 
your length of time that you want to do a story arc for a character and then put them on a story arc. It just seems like there's not a lot to cling on to or want to turn into unless you really want to see this match. This is a dope match, so I want to see this match. Then there's no other reason to really tune in and watch AEW. There's no, oh my God, I have to see what's going to happen next week. That rarely happens. It's rare that that happens. I guess Punk, you know, right now, Punk's got the world buzzing, that whole Punk Moxley thing. Um, but in general, that's just uh, something that AEW's weak at. They need to get their roster under control. They have too many people. Uh, at this point, they need to start looking at either flat-out releasing people or at least looking at what contracts are going to expire and let them expire. I don't know what his budget is or whatever, but that doesn't matter. The problem is, is he's bringing guys in for the, oh my god, he's all elite. And then you get the big pop, the shock and awe pop, and then they don't do anything with these people. Let's start building around some of these people. Let's start telling stories with these people. Let's start using them on shows, rotating them in and out. You know, so you don't have Daniel Garcia and 2.0 on every single main event of every single show of every week. You know, let's slide in some other talent to, to fill those spots and get them on TV. Um, I think there needs to be more communication with the talent. Talent, if they're disgruntled, why? Why are you disgruntled and how can we make you undisgruntled? If it's more money, sorry, I can't help you. Your contract is what your contract's for. You are free to... You know, go somewhere else if that's what you want to do when your contract's up. You know what I mean? But if it's creative, okay. What do you have some ideas? Where would you like to be? Or what do you what do you where do you see yourself going? Have these talks with people. Have meetings. I know Tony Khan's a busy guy, but that's why he needs a little bit of a team around him. He can't do everything himself. Not just writers, but even like a little bit of an inner circle. You know, and maybe that's what this, you know, with adding Tony Schiavone to his inner circle and adding Pat Buck and, uh, and, and Sanjay Dutt and these people, maybe that, uh, you know, maybe the this will help change things in the long run. But, uh, you know, the EVPs, where have they been? Let's get Kenny and let's get the Bucks in there to talk with some of these talents. Find out what they're doing, what, they, what they're happy about, what they're not happy about. Um... Some of these bullshit games that get played, like with FTR, why are they not the AEW Tag Team Champions? Why are they not going into All Out to face the Young Bucks? You know, the rubber match, Young Bucks, FTR 3 for all of the gold, winner takes all. I mean, these stories write themselves and then they just fucking avoid them because of egos or because of whatever. Um, it's, it's just it's blatant at this point. All of that shit needs to be nipped in the bud, and all of that needs to be tightened up. And I think we all got to uh, take it with a grain of salt because AEW is a new company. And because they're so big and because they're on TV and because looks-wise, talent, star power-wise, everything, they're basically on the same level as WWE. But they're a newer company. They don't have the years of infrastructure there. To, the, to, WWE's already gone through all the growing pains. Every company is going to have growing pains. You know, Tony Khan's not going to necessarily foresee every single issue that he's going to run into until he runs into them. He's just got to be good at dealing with them once they come along, uh, which he just hasn't been. And I think he's 
He's spread thin. I think he needs a good team around him. Uh, he needs a little bit of an inner circle to to delegate tasks to QT, I think, is another one close to him. Delegate to these people. Bring on a couple writers to be pit, both pitching you ideas and just working with the talent to help develop their ideas. And that's what we need. And you need people that are specifically dedicated to the women's division, for example. It's all they do is they pitch and write and help for the women. And again, that's not to script everything. That's just to put some more structure on the on the show to to make it a little bit more oh what's going to happen next week add a little bit more character arc to people other than oh my god they're an aew look who's all elite and then oh whatever happened to that person oh they're in a backstage segment standing around with their dick in their hand you know um those are the things that I'm seeing right off the bat. And if there are cancers in the locker room, like a CM Punk, if he's really like starting to go in there and be like, well, I don't want Colt Cabana around. You need to fire Colt Cabana. Well, fuck you. All right? I'm the boss here. And Colt Cabana worked here before I ever brought you in, and you knew that. So you chose to sign here. I'm not just going to fire the dude now that you're here. Sorry. Sorry and shit. You know what I mean? Deal with it. Now, uh, if they're not getting along and, and it's become, you know, if both parties were fine with it, but now they're beefing and you need to, uh, you know, figure it out how to separate them or something, then yes, Colt Cabana is the lesser of the two for your wallet. And then at that point, it doesn't seniority doesn't matter. It's who's, who's the better choice to keep around for your company. Um, but Tony Khan, he's in a bad place. And I think he really needs to, it is a good sign that he's recognizing this stuff. It's a good sign that he promoted all these people. It's a good sign, you know, Tony Schiavone, as I covered last week, did a podcast where he talked about, you know, what kind of his role will be in AEW and how it came about. And all of that's good shit. I like that. It's a good sign that they're at least recognizing that they have a problem. But this is not good news especially with Triple H on the rise over in WWE. And, and not that he's perfect either. You know, there's some things that could be said over on that side of the boat as well. Um, you know, like, do people really give a shit about Dexter Loomis? Do they? Um, but at least there's some kind of story going on over there. So AEW is in a bad way. Lots of chaos going around backstage. Hopefully they can get their shit together pull it together, pull their heads out of their ass collectively, and, uh, you know, instead of steering that ship right into an iceberg like WCW, hopefully they can kind of just, this is just growing pains, that any com new company is going to run into issues and they're able to work through them and be a better, stronger company because of it. But fuck, who knows, man. I hate Juggalos. I fucking hate them. I say all this with a grain of salt because for a good part of my own life, I proudly identified as a juggalo. You should come to the gathering with me. Nah, man. I'm not into all that whoop whoop shit anymore. I'll pay for your ticket. I got fired today. Get the fuck out! Still got room for me? Spike, slow the fuck down! Cops! Fuck your sleep! Fuck your sleep! Fuck your sleep! The savages started closing in with their tiki torches and war paint. Shit! Run! 
You guys got a dead body here already? Even the aliens were throwing shade. It was pure panic and intense horror. There was a guy I saw got chopped in half. I had nothing left to go back to. You alive? <sighs> yep. The Gathering. A bold journey into the belly of the Juggalo underworld. The Nature Boy! Woo! Ric Flair on his podcast to be the man. Talking with Conrad Thompson. Got into some deep shit when uh, Ric Flair was asked point blank by Conrad Thompson. You know, he was being asked about what he thought about Triple H's new regime in the WWE and how he thinks things are going now that Triple H is in charge. Ric Flair's like, I think. And Conrad's like, hey, you said you think. Are you still pals with Triple H? What's up with that? Uh, so asked Ric Flair point blank about his relationship with Triple H. We've heard a lot of rumors about this. Let's hear it from the man. What did he have to say? Uh, I don't know, and, and I know a lot of our listeners probably don't know. What's the status of, of you and, and Hunter's relationship these days? Are y'all still tight, thick as thieves, like always? Well, we, uh, we, I don't think we're thick as thieves, but I can tell you this, and this, I'm glad you asked me that question. Um, we had a big falling out over the trademark, the man issue, big falling out. But um, I'd be very surprised if I wasn't in the top five people that reached out to Stephanie when he got sick. Yeah. Um, certainly, as soon as I became aware of it, I called her, and I called him. And he is, and I probably, will, Beth will be mad, he's the first person I called and Reed died. Wow. So, for whatever people want to make of our relationship or not, I feel like everybody has ups and downs. If you have arguments, you have disagreements. But I can guarantee you this, I'll be at his funeral, and I'll guarantee you this, he'll be at mine. Yeah. And everything else is what everybody else can say, say what they want to say about it and make out what they want to make of it. So look, we've heard about this and I've been hard on Ric Flair before, like really hard on Ric Flair on this podcast. Uh, when he talks shit about people constantly, I'm like, what, why are you so bitter? What do you have to be mad about? Why do you got to take jabs at everybody, you know? And I used... The fact that he's not friends with Sean, he's not friends with Arn, he's not friends with Hunter, uh, he's rumored to not even be friends with David Flair anymore, his own son. Um, so it it stands to read in all of his ex-wives and just everything, his whole, like, in, in Mark Madden, he was, Mark Madden said he was really hurt that he thought he was friends with Rick, and Rick's like, you aren't even my friend, and blah, 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 blah. the whole drama about that podcast Ric Flair is nothing but drama, and I've called this out before, and I've been hard on him about it, and Triple H was one of those examples. Now, all of a sudden, I didn't know. I, I didn't know these details. I didn't know that it was about the man. I had heard, you know, obviously that Rick put up a pretty big stink about the man because Becky Lynch was calling herself the man, and Ric Flair, is, he really got hot about that, and he, was, he had heat with Becky Lynch about it. Apparently, that went so hard that this affected his own relationship with Triple H, dude, his bro, one of his besties. Uh, Triple H was Ric Flair's strongest supporter. Ever since he came back, you know, he, he was one of those people that was like 
Team Ric Flair right from the beginning. He brought back Ric Flair's confidence in himself. Put him in evolution. You know, they got to relive the whole four horsemen lifestyle. And Ric Flair got to feel like he was styling and profiling again. And hanging out with the young guys and getting the chicks and being cool. And getting the rub from the current young guys while the young guys are getting the rub from Rick. And and him and Triple H were just tight as hell. Ric Flair gave Triple H the NWA title, the big gold belt that he held. And uh, he went. He said in his podcast once that he regrets giving that to Triple H. Uh, shit. And even here, he didn't. You know, he's like, you know what? Like everything in between is speculation. But I'll be at his funeral, and he'll be at mine, or whatever the fuck. He, you know, he'll be long gone before Triple H does. But you get well, maybe not with Triple H's heart condition. Knock on wood. Um, but. It's sad that it's come to this to begin with and over a fucking gimmick. Why wouldn't you be, especially the guy that stole the name, the nature boy. He of all people should know the value of borrowing from your past, from the greats in history to bring it forward and do it in a new and better way. Maybe not even better, just a new way for a modern era. What's wrong with that? He stole the nature boy from Buddy Rogers. That fuck. And then he had the nerve, the gall, to say that Becky Lynch can't be the man. Not only is it, it's not even another guy. Like Ric Flair, somebody could have flat out stole the robe and called himself the nature boy. You know, that's what Ric Flair did, but it was a girl, not a guy, and she took the name The Man almost in a completely different context, too. It was a fuck you to the whole system. It was I can, women can do anything men can do. I'm the man. I got bigger balls than you. Fuck you. You know what I mean? And it's that attitude that got her over to mega stardom. You know, she was damn near ha- she she was damn near on on a stone cold Steve Austin rise. I think this whole big time Bex thing is is uh, stone cold's heel turn when he hugged Vince McMahon. It's a big shit bed. So hopefully, when she comes back as the man, that she gets to have a whole nother super exciting run and really do what she does. But for Ric Flair to sit back and be that bitter about that, I would have handed that to her on a silver platter, bro. You can, first of all, they can coexist. You know, he can still go out and have eight retirement matches and be the man, Ric Flair. You know, I guess maybe it's more down to a trademark issue, not an ego issue. You know, maybe he's still trying to make money off of that. Maybe I, I don't know what the fuck the deal is, but I, I would have gladly been like, bro, go for it. You know, make some fucking money as long as I can still make money. As long as I can call myself the man to be the man. You got to beat the man, all that shit. He didn't even really call himself the man. I guess every once in a while, I'm the man. But usually it's, you know, to be the man, you got to beat the man. It's different than just, I, I'm a chick and I got a bigger dick than you do. Fuck you. Uh, that's just so much better too. Um, but yeah, it's sad to hear that Rick doesn't have that kind of relationship with Triple H anymore. You know, I feel like Triple H really looked up to Rick and Rick's just better and, and he's got to get over his own ego, in my opinion. Hopefully he's able to, I would have thought he was going to do that after he had his near death experience. Um, but you know, some people never learn 
I guess. And hopefully uh, Rick does come around and hopefully they can salvage their friendship. But it was interesting to hear that tidbit. I had not been aware that it was revolved, that it was specifically revolving around the man and that still to this day they are uh, not really talking. So that's rough to hear. But, uh, hey, to be the man, you got to beat the man. Woo! Nature boy. Bully Ray was on the 10 Count podcast this week over at NBC Sports Boston talking about his upcoming appearance at the NWA pay-per-view where he's going to be facing off against Mike Knox in a tables match. Bully Ray talks all things NWA, but it was in this clip here where he was asked about his recent appearance over in GCW where Bully Ray did not hold back on his thoughts about GCW in character, perhaps, or maybe not. You be the judge. Check out this clip. Just because he wrestles in garbage bag GCW, which is a, one of the worst ECW ripoffs I've ever seen in my life, and all of a sudden he's this hardcore guy. You've never seen Cardona in the ring with a true hardcore guy a true extreme guy masters of the art of extreme who have you seen him with nick gage i, mean, I was gonna say yeah that's the only person i think of oh my god please over the years it's been 20 years of new ecws what do you think you had you the czw garbage bag wrestlers you have the gcw garbage bag wrestlers all trying to ride the coattails or capture some of the glory of what ECW created back in the day. Your company will never be ECW. Your wrestlers will never be ECW wrestlers. Please stop. Do something different. Yes. These companies like GCW, they have no backbone because they stay away from the guys they know that truly can expose them. Do you really think, hey, listen, Nick Gage had the balls to show up at StarCast with all the GCW guys. Mind you, I eliminated every single one of them. Yeah, Mance Warner got the best of me at the end of the day. Good job, Mance. But I eliminated every GCW guy. You saw Nick Gage come to the Battle Royal. Did you see Nick Gage get in the Battle Royal with me? No. Why not? Um, I, I'm not Nick. I don't know. Because he's a pussy. <laughs> Specifically taking shots at Nick Gage. Look, you got to be a tough guy to go out there and take shots at Nick Gage. Nick Gage is a dangerous human being, right? He's a bank-addicted drug robber. It will fuck you up. Uh, he is a little guy. Doesn't look uh, too muscular these days. But Nick Gage somebody that I wouldn't fuck with personally. He's got that crazy look in his eyes, right? That faraway look where he, he's not all there. You know, uh, not somebody that I'm going to push. But Bully Ray specifically calling out Nick Gage uh, amongst the talent of the entire GCW roster. Calling them, you know, ECW wannabes. They'll never be what ECW was. Garbage bag, trash bag wrestling. Oh, my God. Nick Gage doesn't want none of me because I will expose him. He's taken some wild shots. Those sound a little bit, uh, a little bit too stiff to be a work. Uh, you know, it is quite possible that Bully Ray is building up to some sort of uh, confrontation or angle or or match that he's going to be working with Nick Gage and GCW, where he's the guy that 
goes in as the company heel to talk shit about GCW, and Nick Gage is going to be the GCW savior. Perhaps, I don't know. Looks like Nick Gage, you know, he's working with Mox right now so in GCW, so it's not... Uh, is Bully just going into business for himself like Punk did with Hangman, just picking storylines out of non-storyline uh, stuff? What's going on here? Or is this all just true? Is this all just his actual thoughts? GCW is a scumbag, trash bag promotion, and ECW wannabe will never be. And all of these guys are a bunch of fuck faces, including Nick Gage. That could be. Um, but I love it when, when we hear these kind of things. Bully Ray is never, ever shy to just give his opinion. And he is a natural-born heel. Bully Ray is a heel to his core. There's not a baby face bone in that man's body. Even when he tries to be a baby face, there's just a heel just brewing on the surface, under the surface, just aching to get out, right? I'd love to see him do some work with Nick Gage. He's already, you know, uh, I don't know that he's in full-time wrestler mode. Uh, of course, you know, full-time is subjective, I guess, especially in GCW. But he's got that match he's working with NWA. Um, he hasn't really given any, any indication that he plans to stick around NWA any longer than that. Um, but he was in, you know, uh, made an appearance in that battle royal in GCW. And, you know, if he does go to GCW and he fights Nick Gage, this is a hell of a way to, to uh, cook that up. But why would you do it now when Nick Gage is feuding with Moxley? You know, it's kind of like I said, when Punk brings up Hangman, like you're feuding with Moxley right now. Why are you bringing Nobody wants to talk about Moxley. They're feuding with the other guy. But yeah, actually, you know, Bully Ray in GCW is a fantastic fit. I like the look of him over there because he does have that ECW history. And and let's face it, GCW is today's modern day ECW. Maybe GC uh, uh, CZW too. Um, you know, there's a mix of CZW in with GCW and a mix of ECW. It kind of combines the two. You know, because CZW was almost purely hardcore deathmatch stuff and gcw does a lot of that but it also will bring in the matt cardona's and the uh chelsea greens and the the um you know even jeff jarrett was over in gcw and bully ray like they're really good at finding those guys and i think waltman was over there for a cup of coffee uh, they're good at finding the guys, the non-hardcore guys. You know, they don't do just full not, and that's something that ECW did when they were bringing in a Cactus Jack and a Steve Austin, and a, they made great Eddie Guerrero, Chris Jericho. They made great use of indie talents that weren't necessarily, you know, this was an extreme blood and guts company, hardcore to its bone. Um, but a lot of these guys were not extreme hardcore guys. They were just. Indie guys on the indies who are maybe transitioning between one company or another. So this is great use of that kind of talent. And Bully Ray, I think, is a great fit over at GCW. I love what they're doing at GCW. I, for one, don't think that they... I mean, nobody will ever recreate what ECW did. And I don't think anybody should ever seek to be the new ECW. Or, you know, the, the you'll never build... The ECW was special. You know, at its core, it was just a bingo hall, shitty, dumpy indie company, right? But with Paul Heyman behind the helm and how hard he pushed everything, and he focused, you know, we talked about Tony Khan's bloated-ass roster where you don't have 
enough time on your TV or you're not properly utilizing everybody. Look at the way Paul E. utilized every single person on his roster. Guys that didn't have any right to even be in the business, Paul E. found a way to use them properly. So Bully's right in that you'll never recreate ECW. You'll know you'll never be ECW 2.0. But that's a niche in the market still. You know, you have AEW if they're WCW. And you have WWE if they're WWF, which they are. And then, you know, you got a couple other feds out there. You need that rugged, as Cornette would say, almost that outlaw mud show style. You need that place that's kind of dangerous and edgy and wild and, and shocking but also has enough in and they look gritty and raw and underground and independent and sometimes don't even have ring skirts and they don't got a medical crew backstage and you know how you wonder how they're even going to be able to pay their talent sometimes and, and blah 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 but they're throwing on these crazy shows that get these mad rowdy feisty crowds and they have great characters over in gcw too like look at effie effie's fantastic effie's a megastar effie should be in like aew he really should um not just to you know for uh the lbgbt stuff but also just because effie's a fantastic character and personality that would bring a whole lot of recognition. He'd be a great fit in Ring of Honor, actually. I would scoop Effie up and sign him to Ring of Honor. I don't know why that hasn't happened yet. But, you know, and then, you know, GCW makes regular use of Moxley. And then they got Nick Gage out there. They've done a great job of, you know, I guess with the dark side of the ring, you know, um, after that one, after that show happened, uh nick gage was very more famous than he had ever been you know and he started doing everybody's podcasts and he started kind of almost becoming lovable like people were seeing and I, and I know a lot of you recognize this too as i certainly did is that there's something very lovable about nick gage behind the bank addicted drug robber uh crazy-eyed fucking felon light tube guy you know what i mean like there's something charming in there as well and and that came through with a lot of his podcasts and stuff and really put gcw on the map along with john moxley and matt cardona matt cardona's work with nick gage um i really think that that company is doing great work i really do so i hope bully's just working uh, I'm sure he means a lot of it to his because GCW is a trash bag company. Look at it, you know, but it's the best trash bag company, you know, and they are filling that niche that ECW left behind and they are bringing a little bit of that CZW up with them and no, they'll never be as big or as relevant to history as ECW. But I think when it's all said and done, they're that hardcore ultra-violent indie company that has risen to big enough stardom, big enough recognition where a lot of big names are going to have come through there. And uh, they're going to have a pretty damn good fucking catalog when it's all said and done. So I uh, hope it's a work. Hope we see more Bully over there. Bully vs. Nick Gage. Take my fucking money. I'm all for it. 
Foley is Pod, the podcast with Mick Foley and Conrad Thompson. This past week, they were covering a Vengeance pay-per-view. I don't remember the year. You can't hold me to this kind of stuff. I guess it would have been the year Benoit died, right? So it would have been 2007, perhaps. Uh, But Foley was going through a little bit of a comeback at that time, and he was in WWE in that time. So... As they were talking about everything that was going on in the company, um, you know, Foley was talking about how he was kind of, he took the Mr. McMahon death angle to heart and he was kind of salty about that and actually wanted to leave. And, uh, you know, he didn't, wasn't comfortable sticking around raw for the episode that was going to eulogize Vince McMahon. And um, when he left, that ended up being the episode where everybody found out Chris Benoit died and they did the big three-hour tribute to the guy that killed his wife and kids. So, kid. Okay. You know, I'm not going to add extra dead bodies to Benoit's toll. Uh, But Mick Foley, this led Mick Foley to kind of give his two cents to Conrad about how he felt about what happened with Chris Benoit. And, you know, we've heard this from a lot of different guys. We've heard this from a lot of different angles, but I don't think I've ever really heard Mick's take on it. So check out this clip from Foley is Pod, Mick Foley talking about Chris Benoit. Uh, I know that uh, the CTE diagnosis has been really helpful to Chris's dad. Uh, I have to feel like something went wrong in there because he was such a humble, nice guy, very intense, very difficult on himself. But, uh, you know, I don't remember many people having a crossword with Chris. Sad. It was really sad. He was an intense guy by nature anyway. I think he was greatly affected by the loss of his friend. I do not know what was going on. Uh, behind the scenes in his marriage. I mean, I've never uh, found out for sure if Daniel had fragile X sim- uh, uh, syndrome. I don't know what the situation was. I just uh, know it was uh, tr- tragic and uh, one of the worst things ever that's ever happened to us. And it really set WWE and wrestling back a ways because it came across so negatively uh in the uh in, in the media you know bless mick foley's heart you know he even told a story about one of his recent live shows where somebody had a i'm a chris benoit guy t-shirt in the crowd and it offended him so much that he couldn't even continue with the show he had to ask the guy to go sit in the back foley's a sensitive guy bless his heart you know um Sometimes I think he's a little too sensitive. I wonder how he's made it this far in the wrestling business. Um, But, yeah, he didn't even want to stick around that day because of the Vince McMahon angle. Because Vince McMahon was blown up in a car. And he talks to, you know, when he goes and does his charities, he talks to people that have fought in war, you know, and have post-traumatic stress syndrome that are worried that Vince McMahon died for real. So Vince, uh, you know, was going to do the whole, they were going to do the whole eulogy for Vince thing. And uh, Foley didn't want to stick around for that. And then they ended up eulogizing Chris Benoit instead that day. Of course, you know, something I wish, (laughs) something they wish, I bet, that they could take back. A whole three-hour We Love Chris Benoit episode after he murdered his family. Um... 
And, and Foley's right, too, because that did so much damage. That set wrestling back a long ways. You know, wrestling was hot in the 80s, right, with the Hulk Hogan rock and wrestling era. And then by the time it got to the steroid trial, wrestling took a big hit publicly. You know, everybody just all of a sudden got a hard-on about roids. And, oh, those are a bunch of steroid, roided-up fucking freaks. And, you know, people were really uptight about wrestling at that time and it really went on the down slope you know plus you know the booking was just trash and everything at that time uh, but wrestling had a hard time kind of fighting back from that and it wasn't until the attitude era where they were able to kind of put themselves back in a mainstream light again and then they kind of got into that ruthless aggression era and when chris benoit died dude that stirred up everything all over Everybody was up in wrestling's business again. It was the steroids again. It was the head trauma, uh, which ended up being a good thing because I think, you know, this is was the catalyst for everybody starting to pay attention to head trauma and concussions and what are we really doing to ourselves out there and should we be we should be seeing doctors more and getting checked on more. So I really think that that was that was a good thing. There was a new wellness policy put in place after Benoit's death that had kind of been overlooked for a little bit. Uh, it, it was hard. It was hard for wrestling to be taken seriously again for a while, you know, because it really, nobody wanted to be associated with wrestling after that. Wrestling was that sport where, you know, Chris Benoit was in it and he killed his family. And those are all those crazy roided up murdery people. So that was a, it was a hard, it was a black spot on the, uh, otherwise perfectly clean, shirt of the i don't know i'm trying to think of a of, a, of an, an analogy you know but it was uh it was a dark point in wrestling history for sure that did a lot of damage to the wrestling business and you know i wonder if benoit clearly he wasn't in his, in his right mind at any point at all but i wonder if he ever did give any thought to how this would affect the greater wrestling business uh, doing what he did and you know still to this day a lot of people you know like like we said with the i'm a chris benoit guy t-shirt there's a certain faction of people out there who ha still have quite the affinity for chris benoit they want to see him you know every year you still see the memes chris benoit hall of fame think it'll happen this year start to see it now that triple h is and think no triple h is in charge and duck crit why why do you want chris benoit in the hall of fame Jesus fucking Christ, he murdered a little child. You know, I appreciate Chris Benoit's wrestling career as much as the next guy. And I'm great at separating art from artist. You know, I've been very good at that over the years where I can appreciate someone's work without appreciating the person. And uh, Chris Benoit is certainly one of those people. You know, I can watch a Chris Benoit match all day and not really give too much thought about it but what the dude did like you're not just gonna no amount of time is gonna is going to pass that's going to make it okay to put him in the hall of fame nobody's gonna go hey well you know what he did that thing at the end of his life where he murdered his child uh and his wife but you know what enough times passed let's bygones be good bygones I mean, the dude had a hell of a wrestling career, right? So let's honor that wrestling career, despite murdering a child. So um, 
And look, I get it. It's you know, it's a funny, it's a, it's a edgy meme. It's a I don't know about funny is the right word, but I'm a Chris Benoit guy. It's a meme shirt, right? Because I'm a Paul Heyman guy. You're trying to elicit a reaction of some kind. Um, but yeah, that guy did, he did a lot of damage to the wrestling business, and it will be felt for was felt for years to come. I think we've passed it now. I was going to say it will be felt, but I think wrestling's kind of moved past that at this point. And hopefully we never see anything like that again in the wrestling business. But uh, like I said, you know, I've never heard Mick Foley's take on it. Uh, maybe it has, maybe he said it somewhere and I just never caught it before, but uh, it was interesting getting his take on the whole situation. And I thought I'd share it with you guys. Freddie Prince Jr. was sort of recklessly speculating on his podcast this week, talking about Austin Theory and Karrion Cross. Of course, we know that uh, Freddie Prince Jr. was very close with Karrion Cross as he had planned to bring him in to his wrestling federation as his top star to build around. So he has a pretty good uh, feel for Karrion Cross and kind of knows him as, as a person. And uh, maybe he knows things that he's not saying outright, but he had a good little theory. Check out this clip. I don't know what they're going to do with theory. Can I pitch a weird theory about Austin yeah. Theory? I, I firmly believe that what Vince McMahon did to Karrion Cross was a way to rib Triple H because he knew that was Hunter's guy. And that's why he did the whole sexy gladiator uh, gimp thing to him. Because, ha ha, they're my toys. I'll play with them how I want. And I know that Theory was Vince's guy, his next John Cena. And like Roman said, your daddy's not here anymore. And I think that was work shoot that he threw in there because people know that. And Roman wants to take advantage of the, the smart fans. Here's what I think happened. Hunter gets his revenge for his guy getting played by playing Vince's guy. I love a good conspiracy theory because, you know, I don't like to just believe what I'm told about things. You know, I'm not like, oh, well, that's what he said. So that must be true. You know, I like to kind of dig into things a little bit more. And this is something that's interesting to dig into. You know, was there, uh, like I said, now uh, I bring up that Freddie knew Carrie and pretty well and was talking to him, was friendly with him. Maybe he knows things he's not letting on, you know, maybe more was said privately. Um, but he seems to be under the impression that when Vince put him in the gladiator demolition gimmick, that perhaps this was to take a shot at Triple H directly, you know, to 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 rib Triple H essentially. Like, oh, this is your guy. I'm going to bury him. Just fuck with you. You know, with no complete disregard for the horrible use of great talent. A guy that you could have put on your main roster in the main main event picture right off the bat, like Triple H is doing now. Um, a guy that's built for the main roster. You know, he's built to be a WWE guy. And, you know, Vince just buries him just to bury him, just to fuck with Triple H. Now, that's something that trip, uh, that's something that Vince McMahon would do. You know, like I said, this is just Freddie Prince speculating, but he does he does talk to Carrion, so maybe he does know more than that's being let on. Maybe maybe Carrion has his suspicions as to why 
he was used so poorly and put in such a stupid fucking gimmick. And we all know Vince McMahon good enough to know that he's not above burying somebody just to prove a point, just to spite somebody, or just to get one over, or just to, ha, 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 yes, your guy, I'll show you, god damn it, you know, uh, we know Vince McMahon, and that's how he does things, so that very well could be the case, and then in turn, now, with Austin Theory not being used quite the way that he was under Papa Vince, and we know that he was Papa Vince's guy. He was his hand-chosen guy, so maybe this is a little bit more tit for that, tit for tat, tit for that, tits for that, you get some tits for that. Maybe Austin Theory is being downplayed now because he was Vince's guy, and well, if you're going to do that with my guy, I can do that with your guy, huh? And you know, you see Vince sitting at home in his recliner watching Raw, God damn it, where's the Austin Theory? You think Vince even watches the show? He said he'll be watching. Uh, it was like his little ominous warning to the talent in his goodbye letter. You know, I'll be watching you. Uh, I'm sure he does still watch wrestling. But, you know, I think he rages out at everything that he's seeing, all these changes. When he hears Drew McIntyre say he's a wrestler in a wrestling ring, a wrestling, a wrestling match, wearing wrestling boots and wrestling tights and wrestling knee pads. I think Vince just has an aneurysm. Perhaps. I don't know. Um, but it's a fun little theory. I just wanted to share it with you. I won't beat it to death here, as I know we are running long already. Um, but, yeah, is, is Triple H kind of burying Austin Theory because he's Vince's guy? Because Vince buried Karrion Cross because he's Triple H's guy. And Vince buried Triple H and buried NXT and just really made an example. I mean, we really made a bitch of Triple H is what he did. So maybe this is a little bit of payback. Who knows? Or maybe it's just rec reckless speculation. Maybe it's just a shitty conspiracy theory that's just unfounded. Who knows? Time will tell. Um, I do still think that Austin Theory is going to end up, you know, being a top star for years to come. But... You know, I wouldn't be surprised if Triple H takes him down a notch just because he was Vince's guy. Worth speculating on, right? Many of you probably know this, but some of you might be surprised to learn that old Zeb Coulter, that's right, Dutch Mantel, we the people, was the man responsible for giving Stone Cold Steve Austin the name Steve Austin. And he was talking about the time, the very first time that he met Stone Cold Steve Austin, a young Steve Austin, just trying to break into the business, wrestling in Tennessee. And uh, he was going to have his first match in the territory. And he came in and he was wrestling under the name Steve Williams. And of course, in that era, there was already a prominent Dr. Death Steve Williams in professional wrestling. So that wasn't going to work. Can't have two Steve Williamses in professional wrestling. So it was Dutch Mantel that came up with the idea. Check out this clip. So Monday night, I'm in the Coliseum, and he walks in, and he said, Oh, my name's Steve Williams. I said, Oh, okay. Uh... How you doing? Blah, blah, blah. I said, you're on first, and I'll get back with you. What we're going to do? Okay. So 
I went back in there about 50 minutes later and I said, what's your name? Steve Williams. I said, well, you can't be Steve Williams. Why not? It's my, it's my damn name. I said, well, I don't give a crap what your name is. They already got a Steve Williams. Dr. Death Steve Williams. We can't have two. Well, I said, listen, and I didn't want to force any name on him. I said, think of a name and I'll be back. When I come back 50 minutes later, you got a name? No. Keep thinking. I was going around doing something else. Come back. Got a name? No. Keep. Finally, it was like five minutes before the bell, and he's dressed. He's ready to go. And I already told him what he was doing. I said, you got a name? No. I went, all right. Shit. Hell. Hell, fuck. I said, listen, tonight, and this, I just pulled it off my head. I said, tonight, you're Steve fucking Austin. He said, like the $6 million man. And I still remember this. I said, no, more in your case, like the $6 man. <laughs> now go out there and, and do it. I like how he was kind of a dick to Steve at first, too. And it wasn't until he saw he caught he said that, you know, he told Steve that his match was the shits and in that uh, what he should do is take a chair and sit and watch the entire show from start to finish after his match and see what he can learn. And that he came back and he saw Steve sitting there watching the matches. And Steve has told this story as well from his end, you know. Um, but he said, Dutch said that when he saw Steve doing that, that's when he kind of gave him a second look and was like, okay, a wrestler that actually listens to advice. We might have something here. Because he was just another Joe Blow nobody at that time. Oh, you're Steve Williams. You can't be fucking Steve Williams. Get your head together, dude. You're Steve. I don't fucking know. Steve Austin. We'll go with Steve Austin. Six million dollar man? No. Fucking six dollar man in your opinion. In your situation. Look at you. Fucking indie scrub. Nobody. On the comeuppance. Little did he know that he was going to be the greatest. Uh, maybe not the greatest. But the most famous. Biggest. Well known. Uh, biggest move, uh, needle-moving wrestler in the entire history of professional wrestling, Stone Cold Steve Austin. History was made in that he stuck with Steve Austin. It's a fantastic name, by the way, Steve Austin. It was a good name. It was a good pick by Dutch. Good work, Dutch. Dutch is a great creative mind. I've said it before that Dirty Dutch would be on my inner circle of creative minds coming up with the you know my booking committee, if you will. You know, his, he's a smart guy to the business. He's got a lot of good ideas. He's a straight shooter. He'll give it to you straight. And uh, I just love this click, clip here. I've heard this story before. I know many of us have. Steve's told it a bunch of times. But I don't know that I've ever really heard Dutch tell this story before. Or if I have, it's been so long ago. But I do think that there's probably a lot of new people, too, that just haven't heard that story before, where Steve Austin came from. And that they'd be shocked to, to hear that it came from the we to people guy. Because I think a lot of people also don't really fully know who Dutch is and his history in wrestling. And, you know, just think he was the old hillbilly manager guy in WWF and then WWE, you know. Um, but he was so much more than that. And Dutch is a great guy. I love, I love his podcast. I think he tells fantastic stories. Um, he always shoots straight. He doesn't give any spin on anything. He gives it to you exactly how he saw it, how he feels about it. 
And I highly recommend just going to seek out more Dutch Mantel. If you don't really watch Dutch's podcast on YouTube, seek it out. Go find it. I do have the clip down below if you're watching the clips here. And uh, who knew that that blonde kid that had a shitty match out there that came in, was trying to call himself by the name of another already famous wrestler, would end up being the biggest star in the history of pro wrestling. You just never fucking know. That's it. That's all I got for you here today. Episode 50 in the can. I know I went pretty long on the AEW chaos thing and uh, didn't allow time for some more uh, clips from other people, but I kind of knew that going in because I really wanted to rant on this AEW thing. And I still think, you know, that I have more to say about it that I just didn't fully get into because I didn't want to dedicate the whole episode to it. Um, I did get into more detail on the CM Punk John Moxley match, the title match, the big squash where Moxley won the title from Punk. Uh, they posted that full match on the AEW YouTube channel, and so I did a reaction video to it before I had the chance to actually see the match. Of course, there's it was impossible to avoid the spoilers, so I wasn't uh, reacting to the outcome so much as just watching it play out, seeing how it actually happened. But I do have a reaction video up to that. I will go ahead and post that as the end cap video here at the end. So you can watch that. So I recommend seeking that out because I do go into kind of a full analysis to add more color to my thoughts on the whole AEW situation. Um, check out that and a lot of my other reactions. I got other just nerdy reactions or just random ass nonsense reactions. You know, there's a guy that got set on fire by a police taser. I react to that. Lots of fun stuff over there. Uh, check out it's still on the same channel it's just on the playlist labeled reactions click on that if you'd like to see more of what i do besides this here wrestling show speaking of more of what i do besides this here wrestling show i also have a book it's called the gathering a bold journey into the belly of the juggalo underworld you can pick that up on amazon kindle or audible about a dude who goes to a music festival drug-induced debauchery ensues. It's a great read, a great listen. I got wrestling-inspired NFTs over at CryptomaniaNFTs.com. They are all of your favorite pro wrestling championship belts mashed up with all of the top cryptocurrencies, like the Bitcoin championship has the uh, Bitcoin B that looks like a dollar symbol instead of the million dollar title with the dollar symbols. You know, where the WWE Championship, the Metaversal title um, for, you know, because I, I do believe NFTs are going to play a big part in the Metaverse, but enough about all that shit because most of you don't care. Uh, last but not least, if you could like, follow, and subscribe at Seth Grimes Media. TikTok, Facebook, Twitter, or hit the subscribe button down below if you haven't yet and you want to just see when I have new videos coming out. Doesn't mean you got to watch them all. Doesn't mean you can't unsubscribe in the future if you just don't like what I'm doing. But if you are curious, if you do like a little bit of what I'm doing, you want to see me grow, see me get better, see me keep doing my thing, 
see my channel grow, help my channel grow to the point I'm, I'm on a mission to get monetized right now. Got to reach that thousand subscriber mark. So if you could throw that subscribe ski down below, hit that button, that would be greatly appreciated. I see new subscribers added every single day, um, but it's a trickle. It's a very slow trickle. I'm working my way up, but it's it's uh, it's taking a while to get there. But um, I'm with it. I'm here for you guys. This is fun to do. I love to do this. Um, I appreciate people that listen to me to the especially to the very end. You guys, all what two of you, <laughs> maybe I don't fucking know. Uh, but I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to all my plugs and just listening to me rant on more pro wrestling for fifty fucking episodes. 51 here we come the next milestone will be 100 that'll be next year sometime probably and uh hopefully we'll do something special for that i wanted to do something special for this but then i thought ah 50 you know it's a significant number to hit but it's not like 100 or anything so um we'll just do another great episode and have some fun with it you know rant about aew for a half hour why not it's interesting. All that shit's fun. I love the backstage stuff. I've said it before. This shit is almost as interesting to me, if not more interesting to me, than the actual wrestling itself. So all this chaos. Other than I don't want to see AEW fold. I don't want to see bad things happen to AEW. Uh, I don't want to see them go the way of WCW or even TNA. I still... You know, I enjoy the drama. I like to hear that there's crazy shit going on backstage. I just don't want it to kill the company. But enough about all that. Enough from me. I will let you get on with your day. Peace, love, and pizza. I am your host, Seth Grimes, and this has been the Pro Wrestling Podcast. 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 Juggalos. I fucking hate them. I say all this with a grain of salt because for a good part of my own life I proudly identified as a Juggalo. You should come to the gathering with me. Nah, man. I'm, I'm not into all that whoop whoop shit anymore. I'll pay for your ticket. I got fired today. Get the fuck out! Still got room for me? Spike, slow the fuck down! Cops! Fuck your sleep! Fuck your sleep! Fuck your sleep! The savages started closing in with their tiki torches and war paint. Shit! Run! You guys got a dead body here already? Even the aliens were throwing shade. It was pure panic and intense horror. There was a guy I saw got chopped in half. I had nothing left to go back to. You alive? <sighs> yep. The Gathering. A bold journey into the belly of the Juggalo underworld.